Acts 26. Let's roll. We're getting to the end of the book. It's been a year and a half. It's time. Not that it's not all good, but whew, maybe time to go back to the Old Testament, huh? No, no, no. Isn't it a joy to be in the house of the Lord? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Kevin will pass one out. We had a wonderful time at the celebration of God's love last night at the Valentine's Day dinner. We always play this one game, get to know your spouse. And we've come to the realization that Art and Sarah Ellis can no longer play. <laughs> They've won three years in a row. So either they're cheating or they talk a whole lot more than the rest of us in our marriages. So congratulations, Art and Sarah. Wow, three years in a row. That's pretty, pretty amazing. So Acts chapter 26, Paul is on his way to Rome, maybe in a way he didn't expect. He's a prisoner of Rome. He's appeared before Felix. He's left Jerusalem. Uh, God has protected him. They wanted to kill him. Forty men took a, a, a really an oath to fast until they killed him, but he's still alive. Hope those other guys are alive. It doesn't tell us what happens to them. Because it's two years later, and uh, Felix was reigning where he was as a judge and king, but he has now moved on, and there is a new uh, government official in charge, and his name is Festus. And Festus has a visit from another governing official. His name is Agrippa. And uh, so they come, and Festus, again, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with what Paul's done, but he calls Agrippa in, and they're going to have a little chat in chapter 26, and he's going to ask his opinion on, what do you think about this Paul guy? Why are these Jews so upset? Has he done anything wrong? And Paul just takes all of this as an opportunity, Right? And we talked about last week, in the midst of accusations, in the midst of difficulty, that we want to be like a window. Remember that, that example? If you weren't here, uh, I brought out a window. And I said, when we sin, what we're doing is we're fogging up our window. So we can't see out, we don't know what's right, but when we're sinning and not living for the Lord, people can't see in to see Jesus. So Paul says he strives to keep his conscience clear between God and man. And then he just wants to be a witness. So here comes Agrippa and Festus, and Paul's just going to tell them his story. Remember I said, you don't have to debate with non-Christians. Please don't debate with non-Christians. But just tell them your story. That's it. This is who God is. This is how he affected my life. But I have found in my life, there's a lot of people who want to argue and you can't win the argument. So it's not even worth the effort. All I can say, this is who God is. This is how I've experienced him. This is how he changed my life. So that's exactly what Paul does in chapter 26. He says in verse 2, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all the customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. And just for a little history, Agrippa, his great-grandfather would have been Herod, who killed all the little boys. And his grandfather was another Herod who killed James, and then eventually the Lord killed him. So he knows what's going on with Jewish history. 
He knows about Jesus. And so Paul takes that as an opportunity to share with him. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem. All the Jews know, they know me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived the Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving the Lord night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. You might remember in the midst of their hate for Paul, the reason they were really kind of upset is he said he believed in the resurrection and he separated the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and that's why he got sent on his way. So Paul right off says, I was a Jew, I served the Lord, but I have this great hope of eternity and resurrection to be with Jesus. Verse 9, indeed, I myself thought, I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." Now, when Paul says he's the chief of all sinners, he really believes that before he came to know Jesus. This guy was an animal. If you were a Christian, he was coming after you. And he was going to deal with you. And he was going to put you in prison. And even if it meant killing you, Paul would have done that. So he explains this. But he says, While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining around me. And those who journeyed with me, and when they had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I have yet to reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles and to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul, that's his salvation story. Hey, King, I was nasty. I was the worst of the worst. And as I was on my way to do nasty things, I met God. This light hit me brighter than the sun. This voice spoke to me. Incredible. But you know what? If you have become a Christian and you have trusted Jesus Christ, you've each come to the place where you've said, I've met God. I have believed in his forgiveness. He has changed my life. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, as they should repent 
Turn to God, do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice. Okay, this is where we are. He's saying, God's coming back. Jesus is everything. Jesus saved me. Jesus was resurrected. I'm going to be resurrected. I met him. He told me to go share my faith. I've done it to small or big. That's why I'm here. And all of a sudden, it says a loud voice. So get this. It's a yell. It's a scream. The king yells out, You are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Another translation said, You're insane. You are absolutely bonkers. Crazy. Done. Now, maybe you've been witnessing to someone one time. (laughs) And you're like, man, I met God. He changed my life. You are a loony. Anyone ever said that to you? You're crazy. How can you actually believe someone rose from the dead? What are you, nuts? Anyone ever encountered that? All right, now we get to encourage you. And hopefully you will encounter that. Do you know, if you're a Christian this morning, you believe in the miraculous? You believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And people will look at you and they'll say, you actually believe someone rose from the dead. Now just think if you're telling this story, no one knew anything about Christianity and you're like, yeah, I believe in this God who became a man. He died on the cross and then he rose from the dead. If it's an average person, they'll be like, what? Now we are like, oh yeah, it's just part of the story. But do you actually know what you believe in? You believe that someone rose from the dead miraculously. You know what he's saying? I saw a light more powerful than the sun and I heard a voice. So the king says, you are crazy. You ever said to someone, well, God showed me something in his word. It was like, I felt he directed me to this. Or you might say, I felt the Lord spoke to me in my own thoughts. People are like, what do you mean? You hear voices? No. But I feel that the Lord can direct me in my decisions. And some be like, what? Are you sure? What do you mean? Or you guys don't think that happens today? Interesting enough, this week, reading an article, I don't usually read the news, but here is what was said, and I'm not political, so don't tell, like, I'm not trying to say I'm conservative, liberal, like, don't go that way. I'm not Republican or Democrat, but this is what a Hollywood star said of the vice president. It's one thing to talk to Jesus It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. That's called mental illness. This was in the paper. 
about the vice president who said he was directed by the Lord. I'll repeat that. That's called mental illness, if I'm not correct. That's called hearing voices. That was said about a man in government who believes that the Lord directs him in his decision. Now, I only say that because we're here in Festus, the king, the government, stops Paul and says, you are beside yourself, you are mad to think that Jesus rose from the dead and that you actually can be led and guided by the Holy Spirit, his voice in your life. That's Hollywood, but I want to tell you, that's the majority of the world in North America today. Listen to me. They think you are insane if you are led by a book that is fairy tales and you would actually be directed by a God that you think lives in you and can direct you in the decisions you make. If we are truly living the Christian life, we should look different than the world around us. Do I hear an amen? We are not trying to blend in with the world, put on our camouflage Christianity. Do you hear me? But that's what we're doing as Christians. We're like, well, I don't want to say things that'll rock the boat. Well, what if I say that Jesus is God? What do I say if I believe that Jesus truly is the way to heaven? And I'm not saying anything bad about anyone else, but I'm proclaiming what I believe. But in proclaiming what I believe and living what I believe, I am going to stir the pot of the world. And I want to encourage you as Christians that maybe it's about time someone interrupted us and said, Daniel, you are insane. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way. You know what I mean. Paul's story is absolutely incredible because he has no fear. He speaks what he's experienced. And he's not afraid to lose anything in this world for the truth of Jesus Christ. And in believing that, I think my life might need to change a little bit. It's like Acts 17. It says this, when Paul is in Thessalonica... The Jews are extremely upset with him as he shares the truth of Jesus. And here's his reputation. These Christians, including Paul, have turned the world upside down. What are they saying? They are turning everything. Woo-hoo! This is not the way it's supposed to be. These Christians, they have this reputation. They're going to turn the thought pattern upside down. But what do we say as Christians? We're turning the world right side up. Because it's backwards. 
But the problem, I guess, this morning is what we view in our thought pattern as right or wrong or truth or not truth can quickly become skewed if we aren't truly experiencing and knowing the truth. You know, in the book of 1 Corinthians, I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but one of the greatest themes, it's a correcting book, and there's a lot in that book, and it's a heavy book, and I had this joke when we first started the church. I preached through 1 Corinthians and half the church left. Um, it was a joke, haha. <laughs> it was a tough audience this morning. You can read the book and see why, but like it was suing, sexual immorality, uh, roles of men and women, uh, all this stuff on communion, and it's just like, if people don't agree with you today, whoop, out the door, whoop, right? And that's a hard book. But one of the biggest things in the book at the beginning is he talks about what is wisdom? What is God's wisdom? And what is man's wisdom? And man's wisdom, what he's meaning is the thought pattern of the world. And he makes it very clear in this book for instance, in chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness, foolishness to those who are perishing, right? But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the reality of the way our world thinks. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and in the weakness of God is stronger than men. He says, this is what the Jews look for, this is what the Greeks look for, one looks for a sign, one looks for wisdom, and if you talk about Jesus, guess what? They think you are foolish. And the way they put it is, our thoughts, our patterns, our thinking, our wisdom is higher than God's. How dare us, right? How dare that we would think that? Anyways, it says in verse 14 of chapter 2, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Chapter 3, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. What does the world say? I can do it. What does the world say? There's no miraculous. There's no Jesus. I can do it on my own. I just have to do the right thing. That's not what God says. I want you to understand, you cannot bring together the thinking of the world and the Word of God. Do I hear an amen? You know, we try and put it together. Oh, just put it together. The Word of God says the thinking of God and the thinking of man are at enmity with each other. And the world think it foolishness that we would believe in a God who became flesh and died for us and rose again. And if you have never experienced this, I've spoken in different places where the majority of people have been non-Christians. And then at the end of it, you hear stories of people say, whoo, they think you're a retard. 
That's paraphrase. <laughs> they think you're foolish. Why would you bring that here? Because for those of us who believe, it is the power. Do you hear me? The gospel is the power unto salvation. But understand, when you're sharing with people and the thinking of the world, don't try and bring it together. You respect and love people, but you cling to what is truth in your life, which is Jesus Christ and how he's forgiven you, and you are new in him. And I can tell people, God lives in me. Woo, what? Are you saying you're God? No. I'm telling you, my God dwells in me. He's at home with me. He's at work in me. And I believe He can do anything through me. Well, look at them now. Hey, folks, listen. Do you believe it? Do you believe? Do you, hey, whoa, whoa, let's stop. Do you believe it? Then stop living, Daniel, half in and half out. Half in and half out. A little this, a little that. I'm not saying that we don't treat people with love, respect, use wisdom in making decisions. But the truth is, let us believe the truth. Come what may. No matter the consequences. Because our fear of circumstances and people change at times what we believe. Charles Finney, great missionary in upstate New York, said this, If you have much of the Spirit of God, it is not unlikely you will be thought deranged by many. Pick up his biography and you'd think he's deranged. That guy was crazy. But how is he any different than you and me? He took God at face value. He went town to town and he preached the truth of Jesus Christ. He did it. He was crazy sometimes. But God blessed that. What about us this morning? I was thinking truly in the book of Acts as well, some experiences we might have. You know, remember when they're having that prayer meeting for Peter when he was in jail. You remember that chapter? And all of a sudden, the angel leads Peter out. And he goes to the door of the prayer meeting. Right? And Rhoda answers, Oh, it's Peter. Closes the door on his face. Goes, up, Peter's here. What do you mean Peter's not here? He's like, must be his angel. <laughs> You're thinking, wow, they must have really believed in angels, right? But then they're like, You're out of your mind, Rhoda. Paraphrase. But you're not thinking right. You mean you actually believe Peter's at the door? Well, why not? I just saw him because God is the God who does anything. No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. Peter's in jail. He's not here. You're out the same phrase. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Are you out of your mind? Because you believe in a God who changed the world and wants to live? Kent R. Hughes, one of my favorite pastors, he writes commentaries. He says this, forget about the world. Actually, modern-day Christianity would see Paul 
as a lunatic. Many Christians would be uncomfortable with his presence in their church. If the Apostle Paul came through that door and lived the life he lived, and came and sat down and was here for a year, this commentary said, do you know what? His faith would be considered madness in our churches. What do you mean you're going there? What do you mean you got stoned and you're going back? Common sense says if you get stoned, don't go back. What do you mean you want to go to witness to the Jews in Jerusalem? You know you're going to die. There's a belt stringing you up. Hey, listen, I don't care if I die. I'm going. You're a little too much for us, Paul. (laughs) Why don't you go over to the church next door? They need a little teaching in faith. You do better over there. We'd say to him, you're too zealous. You're too excitable. You're too one-sided. And you have absolutely no common sense. That's what we would say to the Apostle Paul. Because he was doing things, trusting God. Now, obviously, he had a call too. You have to have a call that would make us very uncomfortable. Hey, I'm going to the town and I'm going to tell them all about Jesus. I don't care who is there and I don't care if I die. And they all want to kill me. Hey, can I talk to everybody for a moment? Everyone who wants to kill me? I'd be like, come on, let's get out of here. What are you doing? The crazy thing is I was thinking that in the context of the Bible, we admire him more than anyone else. It's at a distance. We like it. Yeah, Paul, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Paul, that's a good story. Paul, that's a good story. I like what you did, Paul. You were amazing, Paul. Oh, man, that was amazing. But don't come too close, God, in asking me to do those things. And I'm not saying he would or won't, but sometimes he's going to ask you to openly proclaim what you believe and to tell your story. And someone might say to you, you are insane. Are you ready? You have the boldness? Are you ready to risk job, family, loved one? You think, Paul... Here, what about Jesus and his, some of his words? You want to be my disciple? What did he say? You want to be my disciple? You got to be willing to leave everything else behind. And obviously, we love our families. And obviously, we want to make a living. So take this in context. But the reality is, what is our priority this morning? Are you willing and ready Thinking of that and some of the stories in the Bible that we read about and believe, do you actually believe that David killed Goliath, a man 10 foot? Do you believe a boy with a slingshot killed? Oh, these are great stories we learned in Sunday school. Do you believe that they walked around the walls of a city seven times and the walls crumbled down? Do you believe that? What if Jesus asked you to do that? Let's bring it a little to modern-day history. What about the missionary stories we love? Don't we love reading them? Eric Little, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, Lauren Cunningham, Jim Elliott, 
We love them, right? We read them to our kids. Oh, I love that biography, Jim Elliott. He like, he died and all those Indians killed him and so many people came to know Jesus. Wasn't that amazing? That guy was insane. He was crazy. Why did he want to go witness to those Indians? What was he thinking? Oh, we love those stories. I remember talking to a man and talking to him about a step of faith I wanted to do in my life. And he was honest with me. My good friend Wayne Dow, I remember it to this day. He's like, that is so exciting for you. Go get him, Dan. <laughs> he was honest. He wasn't say, didn't say he was right. But he's like, yeah, isn't it exciting for someone else? Well, what about you this morning? Have you experienced Jesus in such a way that you'll do anything for him? How about this? That when the world is carrying on in sin, that you will walk away and say, I don't want to be a part of that. You know Jesus well enough to be like, why? I can remember some of the stories in my life when it would have been easier, and sometimes I've failed, to go with the crowd, right? Because it was easier. I can remember a tax return I could have filed. I was here in Canada for five months. You only had to be six months. And I remember my American accountant said, just do it. Everyone's doing it. You're insane not to do it. You're throwing away 4000 bucks. It's just one month. But what do we say? can't do that. I don't care if you call me insane. I'm not going to lie. All the guys are going out. We're all going for a party. What do you mean you want to stay home and, and take care of your wife? What are you? Come on. Stupid. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's watching that movie. Everyone's listening to that music. Why don't you do it? You're silly. No. No. I know the love of Christ. He's changed my life. I'm not going to get involved in that. Even in our presence, I see, remember Jim Stanley back from Africa. He told me the story of his father. People thought he was nuts. Pig farmer, wife, all those boys, many children. God told him to go to Africa. No support, no covering. He went. He went. Wow. What do you mean? You gave up everything to go? You didn't even know where you were going? What were you doing? What were you thinking? You gotta, you gotta, that's just insane. But the Lord did a work. And the Lord honored the faith. You see, the whole book of Acts, we would look at it and we'd say, you know what? The church in the book of Acts was utterly crazy about Jesus. That they would do anything for Jesus. And today I'm just saying, I need God's help. And I'm not even talking about going to Africa. I'm talking about doing the dishes when God asks me to do them. I'm talking about serving when I don't want to serve. I need God's help. I'm not talking about necessarily going and setting up a pulpit in Smith Falls on the street. I'm talking about living a life full of the Holy Spirit that people in my own home would say, you're crazy. We need an infusion of the Holy Spirit 
to be changed, to live a life like Paul. Paul is no different than me and you this morning. The same God that lived in him can live and does live in us. And instead of wanting to read another book of faith, why don't we start living a life that we can write the book of faith? What holds us back is not society or people. It's ourselves and our understanding of Jesus. And can I tell you, He loves you. He died for you. He rose again. He wants the best for you. He hopes all things for you. I want to be different, changed, infused. I want people to look at my belief system of the truth of this book to say, you're crazy. What's driving you this morning? Educational system? What your family wants you to do? Or is it Jesus Christ? He loves you so much. And if he grabs just a few of us in this room who will live without fear, doing what he says, I believe he can change a whole community. But he's looking at me. You know how revival starts? One person at a time. You want revival to start? Here's what you do. Draw a circle around yourself and say, Lord, change the person inside the circle. You know how we treat revival? Change them over there. Change the Methodists. Change the Anglicans. Change the United. Oh, they need you. No, we need God. We need an infusion of Him to change us to do what He says in love. Remember teaching a sermon like this and there was worship and was that my old Christian school in New Jersey? I just remember saying to them, listen, do you have enough faith not to go to another country, not to do something utterly ridiculous? I remember saying to them, do you have enough faith to obey your teachers after chapel? Do we have enough faith to simply do what God's asking us today without fear for his glory? And if he says it, we'll believe it no matter the consequence. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. We cannot do it on our own. Paul never accomplished this on his own. We need more of God today to grab us, to experience him, to change us, that we would walk in faith for his glory. Amen. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. We are so thankful for Jesus. Talk about insane. Left heaven, perfection, to come to sin, to walk with sinners. As God to die on a cross 
Listen, he was God. And he took our, our sin. Why would he do that? That's insane. Because he loves us. Because he simply obeyed the Father. Lord, would you give us the obedience of Jesus? We're so thankful for your forgiveness, Lord, in my life. So thankful, so thankful you love us, God. If you don't know the love of God today, he's just telling you he loves you, forgives you. You've never chosen to follow him The Bible says very clearly, if you will believe in your heart that Jesus came, died, rose again, and you confess with your mouth that you will be saved, that he will come and live in you, he will be with you. He's not going to make things necessarily better for you, but he's going to be with you in the difficulty. He's going to love you. And he's preparing a home for you. Is that you? You've never made that commitment. Today as we celebrate communion is for those of us who said, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. And I'm so thankful in the midst of my failure, God has forgiven me. Oh, I need more of you, Jesus. Just just come. We say in this moment, examine my heart. I'm a failure, but God, you are perfect and you are good. I need you. I remember you. Just fill me afresh and anew this day with the reality of who you are. Work in my life. Change me. Oh, God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so gracious. It's all God's grace this morning. It's all his work in us. We just praise you, Jesus. Praise you. Just empower us today, Jesus, as a group here. No matter where we go after this time, empower us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to be crazy, obedient Christians. The elements are in the back as we just celebrate Jesus. Randy's going to play. Respectfully and quietly as you're just worshiping Him. You get the elements. If you need prayer, there'll be brothers and sisters in the back. If you want an infusion of more of God anytime during communion or after communion, just want us to lay hands on you, we'd love to do that too. We just want to grow. We just want to worship Jesus. We want to praise our God. We want to live for our God. We want our beliefs and our actions to make a difference. Lord, just bless this time. In your name, amen.